The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel, where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our way of leading. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God commanded man and woman, and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth, to be fruitful and multiply in ideas and influence, and to cultivate the garden, making sense of the earth around them, subduing and replenishing it for His glory. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead because this world needs you right now. No matter who you are or where you find yourself, it's my deep prayer that as you listen, meditate, become courageous to act, and go deeper in your walk with God, some of you just at the beginning of that journey, that you will be changed back into the original image and likeness in which you were created. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and share. God bless you, and God bless your leadership. Let us go ahead and get started. As I said, the Holy Spirit has a cracking lesson for us tonight, and I don't want you to miss anything this evening, so we won't waste any more time. Our theme this month is on leadership, and so that is very exciting for us. When we think about what leadership is, in its most basic form, leadership is simply the act of leading a group. And that group can be a small unit, it can be a family, it can be a team, it can be a larger unit, it can be an organization, a conglomerate, it can even be a nation. But the reason why leadership is so researched, why leadership is so studied, why leadership is so written about, why we try so hard to decode leadership is because how that leadership is enacted can vary, can vary significantly. And leadership varies in terms of leadership styles, leadership typologies, leadership competencies. And we know that good leadership, great leadership, powerful leadership, transformative leadership is something that is elusive. We know these things when we see them, but it's not always easy for us to map or have a blueprint of how to get there. And so this is the reason why we continually look at ways of trying to understand leadership. And we have come to believe at the School of Ministry and Leadership that everyone, absolutely everyone, is born with this degree of leadership. We carry the seed of leadership from our time in the Garden of Eden. And so even though everyone has this leadership seed, has this leadership potential, there's obviously a difference between those who become poor leaders, those who become good leaders, and even those who become great leaders. And the reason why we pay so much attention to leadership is because leadership is so fundamental. That great leadership can change everything, and that poor leadership is a destroyer. So where do we start this evening? I want to ask you a question, and the question that I'm asking you this evening is, well, if we think about leadership, my question to you becomes, what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader do you want to be? What would be the adjectives that you would use to describe the kind of leader that you want to become? Do you want to be a wise leader? Do you want to be an effective leader? How about um, a beloved leader or a charismatic leader? Do you want to be a long-serving leader? Do you want to be a compassionate leader or an authentic leader? What kind of leader do you want to be? And so as you begin to mull that over, as you begin to contemplate that, this isn't about right or wrong. I can't tell you the kind of leader you should be seeking to be. There is no right or wrong answer. 
But the answer to this question will flow from the place of understanding the kind of leadership that you want to fulfill in alignment with the calling and with the vocation of God on your life, in alignment with the giftings and the talents that you've been given, in alignment with how you want to be known, how you want to be remembered, and how you want to show up when you lead. And so if you have some adjectives already sort of bubbling up inside you, think about, well, what would that look like if those adjectives actually began to manifest in you? When I ask you what kind of leader you want to be, I'm also asking you as a godly leader, I'm asking you, well, what kind of follower of Jesus do you want to be? Because there has to be a connection between those two. What kind of man or what kind of woman do you want to be? Because there's a connection between those two. And then my final set of questions for you. Well, then how will you get there? How will you know that you are making progress on the way to becoming the leader that you said you want to become? What technique will you use? And so this evening, we are going to be speaking about leadership technique. And our scripture this evening comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And I'm reading from the NIV this evening. And so the Apostle Paul writes to his friends at Philippi, and he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brethren, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you so much as we have come to Mount Zion this evening. Lord, we have come to the School of Ministry and Leadership because we believe that you are here and we believe that you have something to speak to us tonight about how we lead in you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to take over this assembly let no flesh glory in your presence, Lord. And if any of us will boast, let us boast only in the fact that we understand you. We know, Lord, that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And so even though we do not understand the fullness of what you have for us, we launch our faith out this evening. And even though we might miss understanding, we have belief. And we believe, Lord, that as we come seeking you, beholding you, that our minds will be renewed and that we will be changed, Lord, from grace to grace and glory to glory, that we will fulfill the leadership assignments that you have given us. And we will fulfill them, Lord, not for ourselves, that you may be glorified. And so this evening, Lord, we say, let everything that has breath praise you. Father, these are your people. Meet them at their point of need. And I thank you and I trust you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So in this text this evening, Paul is speaking about not having obtained the goal, not having reached his destination, but pressing on nonetheless. And pressing on, forgetting what is behind him, straining to what is ahead, because he wants to fulfill the call that he's been called to by Jesus. And so this is an interesting text to us. It's a text that we usually do not associate with leadership, but as usual, the Holy Spirit has some hidden gems for us this evening. And in this text, Paul makes four points. And when we look at these points through the lens of leadership, there are four things that I will speak to this evening. So the first point that Paul makes, very simply, he 
lets us know that you haven't maxed out yet. When it comes to your leadership, you have not yet maxed out. There's always something new to learn. There's always a new level to reach because Paul says that he hasn't reached there yet. He's still striving towards the goal. And the word goal that gets used there, it in the Greek is the word that we would use for mark. So the imagery here is of a race and of the goal or the mark being set at the very end of that race. It's like when they say, on your marks, get set, go. What they're saying is, is on your marks, can you look down the track and see the goal? Can you look down the track and see what it is that you are supposed to be running for? And so this is the context in which Paul is speaking this evening. So he says, when it comes to your leadership, you haven't yet maxed out. There's always something new to learn, a new level to reach, because you have not yet obtained that mark. You haven't yet obtained that goal. The second point that Paul makes, he says you have to press on to reach your leadership potential, precisely because of the fact that you haven't maxed it out yet. So if you haven't reached the mark yet, then you have to press on, you have to keep going, you have to run your race until you reach the mark. In other words, you're still in your potential because you haven't reached the mark yet. So you have to press on in order to reach that potential. That's Paul's second point. Paul's third point is that your leadership is called by Jesus himself. Paul says that he's pressing on to take hold of the thing, to grab the thing that Jesus grabbed him for. In other words, there is a purpose, there is a reason why Paul has this mark at all, this goal at all. And that's simply because he was called to it. That's simply because he was grabbed by Jesus for it. And so your leadership also is called by Jesus himself. And then the fourth point that Paul makes, he says, despite not maxing out, you still have to live up to the leadership that you have already attained. And in, I didn't read this, but let me read now the verse 15. I should have read, I only read to the verse 14. Let me read now verses 15 and 16. Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So that was the point that I wanted to underline, is that Paul is saying, you haven't maxed out, you're still in your potential, you have to press on in that potential. But despite that, you still have to live up to what you have already attained. You have to live up to the leadership that you have already attained. So tonight we're going to be speaking about leadership technique. We're going to break down these four points and we are going to try to understand what does it mean and what does it take to propel ourselves forward into ever greater levels of leadership. So I'm actually going to start with the point two and then I'm going to weave points one, three, and four throughout because point two is the meatiest point. Point two is, is the point that we really need to grasp. Paul says you have to press on to reach your leadership potential. You have to press on to, to reach your leadership potential. And as I was mulling that over, the term that came to my mind was the term leading edge. I'm sure some of you have heard of this before. But to be at the leading edge means to be at the most advanced position in any area of activity. So when I think of pressing on to reach my leadership potential, I'm thinking about the leading edge. How do I stay at the leading edge? And the leading edge simply means to be the most advanced or the most forward, to be in that prime position in any area of activity. So the dictionary actually has a long list of synonyms or, or, or like terms that we can use for leading edge. So I wrote them down. 
So to be at the leading edge means to be ahead. It means to be at the front line. It means to be at the frontier. We can speak of leading the pack. We can speak of being the pace setter. The leading edge refers to being in the pole position. The leading edge refers to being the standard bearer. The leading edge means to be at the cutting edge or to be the trailblazer. And last one, I liked this one, I hadn't heard it before, but the leading edge means to be the tip of the spear, the tip of the spear. So if someone tells you that you are the tip of the spear, they're saying to you that you are the leading edge, that you are the trailblazer, that you are the sharpest point in front. And so th these are a lot of ways to describe this place or this position which is out and ahead or out in front. But essentially we can interpret this as speaking of leadership because we understand that the leader always has to be a little bit ahead of those who are following him. The leader is always the frontiers man. The leader is always the one who's cutting the bush so that those behind can come through in an easier trail. And so Paul says, I, I keep moving forward more than anyone else. I set the pace to lead. And what's critical for us to understand this text is Paul's motivations. And so Paul wants to be the leading edge, or he wants to be the leader's edge, not because he's competing with anyone, not because he wants to be better than his co-leaders, not because he wants to be better than those who came before him. But Paul tells us that the reason why he does this is because he wants to know Jesus more. He wants to know the one who grabbed a hold of him for a purpose. He wants to know the one who loved him first. That's what First John says, it says, we love him because he loved us first. Paul wants to know the one who chose him first. Jesus himself says this to us in John's gospel, that you did not choose me, but I chose you. So Paul wants to be at the leading edge because he wants to know this Jesus. He wants to know this Jesus who grabbed him. He wants to know this Jesus so that he can understand the reason why Jesus grabbed him. He wants to love this Jesus. He wants to understand this Jesus who chose him. And so how then does Paul do this? Still looking at the text, he explains to us, he says, I haven't obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my mark, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brethren, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. He actually does two things. <laughs> First thing, Paul says, forgetting what is behind. So the way that Paul propels himself forward, the way that Paul presses on to reach his leadership potential, the way that Paul stays at the leading edge, he says he forgets what's behind him. And what Paul means there, he's saying, I forget my training. I forget my high education. I forget my prestige. I forget my social status. I forget the law and the prophets. I forget being from the tribe of Benjamin. I forget being Hebrew of Hebrews. I forget being trained at Gamaliel's feet. He says, I, I, I forget all of that. So everything that made me, Paul says, I forget. I forget my family. I forget my riches. I forget my popularity. I forget my uni degree. I forget my law degree. I forget my PhD. I forget the family that I came from. I forget the clothes I used to wear. I forget the comforts that I used to have. I forget the nice foods that I used to eat. I forget having the prime seats in the synagogue. All of that I forget. And I stretch forward. 
But in forgetting what is behind, Paul is not only forgetting the good things, the things that gave him advantage, his Roman citizenship, his Pharisee status. He's not only forgetting the good. Paul is also forgetting the bad. He's forgetting his sins. He's forgetting the way he was able to give a look and the crowd could begin stoning Stephen. Paul says, I forget my anger. I forget my temperamental weaknesses. I forget my sins. I forget the errors that I made when I was in darkness, when I had the right passion, but I had the wrong object. I forget. So Paul forgets what's behind him and he strains for what is ahead. Another word, Paul stretches forward. And I hope some of you remember our teachings on stretching. You have to stretch. You have to stretch for healing. You have to stretch through the wall of thorns. You have to stretch in order for that precious material in you to be refined. You have to stretch. So Paul says, I stretch. And it is in forgetting what is behind him and stretching to what is in front of him this is how Paul propels himself forward. But if we stick with this running motif for a little bit, and if we actually look at sprinters, how they run this race in order to reach the mark, when you study sprinting a little bit, you learn that sprinters have certain techniques. And they have these particular techniques to maximize the speed and the force that they generate in order to be able to propel themselves forward. And so the lessons that we can take from sprinting technique, we can actually apply to our leadership technique. So the first thing that we learn from sprinters is that sprinting technique tells us that sprinting is not simply running fast. You might think that a sprinter is someone who just runs fast. It is not so. A sprinter is someone who is skilled at knowing how to set their body at particular angles and move their body in such a way to generate force in order to propel them forward. So sprinting is a skill. Sprinting is about where you put your feet. Sprinting is about your body angles, the angles between your shoulder and your elbow when your arm is moving, the ability for you to dorsiflex, put your foot down heel to toe and make sure that it is directly under your center of gravity and doing that consistently in under nine seconds to be able to reach the mark. And so beyond the simple giftings or the genetics that athletes have in order to sprint. Athletes can actually learn to correct themselves. They can actually learn correct sprinting technique. And, and this is what the training of sprinting is, that these high caliber athletes will spend hours refining their technique. If we apply that to leadership, then we can see that leadership technique can also be refined. That leadership is practiced. And so therefore, even though we started off with the statement that everyone has the seed of leadership, regardless of the leadership seed that you've been born with, through learning, through refinement, through hours of intention and hours of practice, you can actually become a better leader. You can deploy your leadership technique. And so the question then that I would ask you is what aspects of your leadership are you spending hours on? What aspects of your leadership are you refining intentionally? What's the thing as a leader that you have to practice over and over and over again until you are able to correct your technique? 
For some of you, this might be being kinder or being more compassionate to those who you lead. For others of you, it might be about being a better time manager. For some of you, it might be practicing to be decisive. For some of you, it might be about refining how disciplined you are with yourself. So I want you to think back to the first question that I asked you. What kind of leader do you want to be? Think of the adjectives that would describe that. What kind of leader do you want to be? And then once you have those adjectives, how will you know? How will you know if you are getting there? If you're able to do that, then you can begin to identify what you need to practice. You can begin to identify what you should be spending hours, hours in a week, hours in a month, hours in a year, practicing until you are able to refine that technique and become the kind of leader you say you want to be. The next thing to know about leadership technique or about sprinting technique is that sprinting technique must be developed. It doesn't come naturally. So when, when a sprinter is learning how to correct himself and how to run, how to sprint, that sprinting skill is developed through what's called motor learning. Essentially, it's the repeating of the movement over and over again so that it replaces the natural bad habits. And again, this refers to some of the body angles or some of the foot placement. For example, some people think that you run faster on your toes. And the experts will tell you that that is not true, that you run faster when you put your heel down first. And so if you do that for hours over and over and over again, eventually your muscles in your leg and in your foot and your brain, your neural pathways, will begin to remember, this is the motor learning, will begin to remember and therefore correct those micro-movements. So sprinting technique has to be developed and has to break whatever the natural bad habits were. And so when we apply this to leadership, leadership technique must also be developed. And so then my next question for you, which bad habits do you need to displace to become the leader that you say you want to be? The next point is that sprinting technique requires applying force to the ground in order to move forward in the fastest time. So this is what I found fascinating because I think when we're watching the races, we don't actually understand the physics that's going on. And what makes the fastest runners the fastest is their ability to generate force. And they generate that force vertically. The force that moves through their legs down into their feet and hits the ground is actually what propels them forward. So a fast runner is fast not by taking more strides in a second, but by planting down and pushing force down into the ground and essentially rebounding off of the ground in order to propel forward. And researchers have actually studied Usain Bolt's sprinting technique and they estimate that he's able to produce over 1,000 pounds of force down to the ground when he's sprinting. That's a huge amount of energy. So let's now apply that to our leadership technique. We're saying that leadership technique then is about applying force. So let's take that one step further. What does force mean in a biblical sense? We're speaking here about power and authority. So leadership technique the godly leader becomes about how well the leader is able to apply force in her leadership. How well is the leader able to steward the power and the authority that she's been given, the dunamis and the exousia, to use the Greek. So dunamis is the Greek word for power, and you recognize the word dynamite from it. 
And, and, and dunamis refers to force. It refers to miraculous power. It refers to might, to ability, to abundance. It refers to intrinsic power. It even refers to violence. When we think of that verse in Matthew that says that the kingdom suffers violence and the violence must take it by force, talking about dunamis. Dunamis refers to the wonderful works of God. It's the spirit of strength. It's the manifestation of the warlike power of God. That's dunamis. That's the power that we're talking about. When we speak about authority, we're speaking the Greek word exousia. And authority is not about physical force. Authority is about jurisdiction. It's about rights and privileges, spiritual rights and privileges, having the power to give orders. So think here of the centurion who spoke to Jesus and he says, I get you, I believe in you because I too have exousia. I tell them to come and they come, I tell them to go and they go. So you don't even need to come to my house, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was amazed because he was like, this guy gets exousia, he understands it. Exousia refers to capacity or to mastery or to delegated influence. It's about exercising dominion and rule, having the power over unclean spirits. So when Jesus sent out his disciples and he says, I give you power and authority, to cast out demons. I've given you power and authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing by any means will harm you. Jesus sends his leaders out with both dunamis and exousia. So this is the leadership technique. It's about how effectively is the leader able to apply force in order to move forward. The next thing I want us to know about sprinting technique is that the way that the sprinter is able to maximize the force application, how to actually get force down into the ground so that the sprinter can run forward, happens in three ways. Number one, it's about the posture. Number two, it's about the mechanics or how the body actually moves, how the body operates in this velocity and this speed. And then number three, it's about rhythm. So po posture, mechanics, and rhythm. Let's apply this now to leadership technique. What does it look like? Let's start with posture. So for posture, I'm going to actually call back my point number three that we started with. In the text that we're looking at tonight, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, Paul makes the point that the reason why he's pressing on to take hold of that which he has not yet obtained, he does it to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. In other words, his purpose. And the third point that we made was that your leadership is called by Jesus himself. And so what we see from Paul is that the posture, the leadership posture that Paul is taking here is actually one of worship. We understand this text when we go back to the verse 7 and we actually get the context of why Paul says what he says. In the verse 7, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And that's when Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brethren, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Hallelujah. So Paul's posture is one of worship. He says, the reason why I can press on is because I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know his suffering. I want to participate in his suffering. I want to know what it was like to hang on the cross. That if I can be a little bit more like him, then somehow I can attain Christ-mindedness, Christ-likeness. And I haven't attained this yet, but I press on. That's what Paul is saying. So this is worship. And if we are going to be forceful in our leadership, if we are going to operate in the dunamis and the exousia that's been given to us, then we need this posture of worship. Paul says that leadership is no more about our works. And this is so hard. This is so hard. This is so hard because fundamentally being a leader is all about works. <laughs> As a leader, you have to do stuff. As a leader, you have to change things. As a leader, you have to cast a vision. You have to train. You have to delegate. You have accountabilities and responsibilities that you are stewarding. But sometimes in the doing, we lose track of the goal. And this is what Paul is saying to us. He's saying, yeah, as a leader, he's done all this. I mean, Paul tells us in Corinthians about all the stuff that he did and all of the ways that he was punished, all of the lashings and all of the shipwrecks and all of the hungers and all of the being chased out in the city and in the country, all of the stonings. Paul lists the, the, the actions, the activities, the verbs. But he says that is not what this leadership is about. That's not the leadership technique. This leadership is about knowing Jesus. Going back a few weeks ago, to the field where we find this great treasure, that we go away, we secure the field, we go away, sell everything, do whatever it takes to possess the field so that we can come back and have the treasure in it. Or like the pearl, the pearl of great value that once we found it, we go away quickly, get everything that we can, sell it, sell it, sell it, and come back so that we can purchase this rare and exquisite and precious thing so that we can own it, so that we can know it, so that we can participate in it. This is what Paul is saying. And the interesting thing about what Paul is saying to us with this imagery of the mark, the goal at the end of the race, what Paul is suggesting to us is that this leadership technique is about running after Jesus quickly. It's like doing the 100 meters, running it fast, running it forcefully, as if to win it. And this brings us to then the mechanics, the how do we do this? The leadership mechanics, what are the mechanics of this? Paul elsewhere, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 25, you know where I'm going with this. So let's read it. Paul says, Do you not know 
that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Therefore, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, 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 no. I strike a blow to my body and make my body my slave. I train it, I discipline it, so that after I have preached to others, meaning after I have led, after I've been at the leading edge, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So in this passage, Paul is giving us the mechanics. He's giving us the, how do you operate this? How do you do this? What does this actually look like? When we speak about the third way to produce force, remember we said there were three ways. Posture was way number one. Mechanics was way number two. Rhythm is way number three. And I won't read the text for sake of time, but when I thought about rhythm, the only scripture that came to my mind was Isaiah chapter 40. The rhythm that you need in order to pursue God. He says that even the young will grow weary and stumble. But them that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with eagle's wings. You are going to first run. You're going to run because you're excited. You're going to run because you're at the beginning of the race. You're going to run because everything is fresh and new and you still have all the zeal and you haven't reached any obstacles yet. You're going to run. But even those who wait upon the Lord, you'll run and not grow weary. But eventually, when you realize that God's not coming yet, he's not coming now, you're going to fall into this rhythm and you're going to walk. But you're going to walk and not faint. You're going to walk on the sunny days and you're going to walk on the rainy days. You're going to walk when it's hot and you're going to walk when it's cold. You're going to walk when the way is narrow and you're going to walk on the highway when there's no one on it. You're going to walk uphill, you're going to walk downhill. But you're going to walk and not grow weary. You've hit the leadership stride, you've hit the leadership rhythm. And this is the way that we produce force, that we are able to operate in the power and the authority that God gives us as leaders. It's like when you look at the different kinds of races that get run. The 100 meters, you have to go fast. It's not a lot of time. 200 meters, you have to go fast. There's not a lot of time. But when you start to look at the other races, not the marathon, because the marathon you know you have to pace yourself for however many kilometers it is. So you go slowly, and when they train for marathons, you're training to also hit that stride that you can keep comfortably for several hours. But between the 100 meters and the marathon, there are these mid distance races. Think about the 800, think about the 1600. And these are races that need skill to go fast while also going a moderate distance. And so the runner who runs these races has to be very skilled because you need the power, you need the force, you need to move, but you also need the endurance, you need the perseverance. And it seems to me that this is the kind of race that we're running. That sometimes it feels like a marathon for the distance, but yet there's still an aspect of speed and force that has to be applied. So it's a mid, it's a mid-level, it's a mid-distance race. And this brings me back then to Paul's statement about forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. You know, when you look at the relay races, it's very interesting that when you look at the short ones, you look at the four by 100, if you watch them very carefully, you will notice that when they are exchanging the batons, that the runner who's receiving the baton does not look back. There's no time 
in the 4x100 to look back. So that runner is looking ahead. And for those of you who've run this, you, you know. <laughs> and he'll get a signal. He'll get, he'll get the, the colleague who is running behind him will let him know that he's approaching. And so he sticks out his arm in order to receive the baton. And once it's in his hand, there might be a code word. Once it's in his hand, he grabs it and he goes. But study that race very carefully and you will notice that they never turn their heads. And so the technique that they learn in order to exchange the baton without dropping it is all about timing and it's all about trusting the one who's handing you the baton, knowing the code words so that you can exchange. Compared to the long distance relays, in those relays you actually study the baton exchange and you see that the one who is waiting for the baton actually turns and actually looks behind them. And when they see their colleague coming closer, then they begin their, they begin to jog. Because in those races, they don't need speed. What they need is a smooth handoff. And so these two techniques actually, one is called non-visual for the, for the fast races, it's called the non-visual technique because you're not looking behind. And for the longer distance relays, they're called the visual technique because you can, you have the time to turn around and look and grab the baton. And so this underscores the point for me that the kind of race that Paul is speaking about is a fast race. There's no time to look behind. You have to trust. You have to use other signs and other ways of knowing that the one who's passing you the baton is coming quickly. So this race that we run, that the leader runs, it's, a, it's the mid-distance race. You need both speed and force, but you also need perseverance and endurance. Let's come to the fourth point, and I'm closing soon. The fourth point we said was that you have to live up to the leadership you've already attained. This is what Paul says in the verse 16. He says, only let us live up to what we have already attained, meaning that we know we're not there yet. We haven't reached the pinnacles of our leadership. We haven't reached the fullness of our potentials. We haven't maxed out. But there is some that we have attained. And so that which we have attained, we have to live up to that level. We have to live up to that leadership, meaning there's no time to shrink back. There's no time to slide back. There's no time to be double-minded. There's no time to be distracted or diluted. Don't get entangled or caught up with the things that will ensnare or slow down your leadership. Paul is basically saying, do and finish. Finish. Finish the race. Live up to the level that you've already attained. Live up to the distance that you've already passed. Live up to the time. Your, your time is good. So live up to that. And in his letter to Timothy, Paul says this. And it's just interesting looking at this. I mean, most of us think about Paul as being this fire-breathing Pharisee, but when I began to see all of these scriptures, it didn't make me wonder whether Paul used to be an athlete in his youth, because he has a lot of sports. He writes from the place of sports. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me read verses 1 to 7. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who also will be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So Paul uses different analogies. He speaks about being a good soldier. 
and not getting entangled in civilian affairs. He speaks about competing like an athlete according to the rules of the race. And he speaks about the hardworking farmer who's able to enjoy the first fruits of the crops that farmer has sown and now he also gets to share in the harvest. And then Paul says, take these three examples and pray about them. And the Lord will give you divine insight into what I'm talking about here. But what Paul is essentially saying is he's saying, don't get distracted. You've attained a certain level. In the army, you've attained a particular rank. In the race, you have covered a particular distance. You've made a particular time. As a farmer, you've done the work. You've sown. And so don't give up now. But do it and finish it. Finish the race. Finish the work. Finish the harvest. Finish serving in the army. Do all of this, Paul says. Live up to the leadership that you've already attained. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing in not so many words in the chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles and the sin that so easily gets us down. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. And so as godly leaders, it's so easy to grow weary. It's so easy to lose heart. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't worry about that. Keep running the race. Throw off these distractions. Throw off the sin that entangles. Throw off the self-pity and the sorrow. Throw off the lack of discipline. Run the race. Do it and finish it. Just the way Jesus, whom you follow, whom you serve, whom you worship, did. So live up to the leadership you've already attained. And then the final point, which was point number one, which is simply that you haven't yet maxed out your leadership. So if we look at these four points, we spent all of the time on point number two, that you have to press on to reach your leadership potential in that we wove in the third point, which is that your leadership is called by Jesus himself. We just noted the fourth point, which is that you are called to lead up to the leadership. You're called to live up to the leadership that you've already attained. And then we close on the first point, which doesn't really need any explanation. It's explained by points two, three, and four, which is that you haven't yet maxed out your leadership. In other words, you're not finished. And because you're not finished, therefore you press on. And Paul has given us some clues, some hints, some recommendations on the way that we can continue in this race. We only max out once we have finished the race. And so as I close, I ask you the question that we started with this evening. What kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader do you want to be? What are the adjectives that describe it? And I gave you some, but there's many more. Do you want to be a compassionate leader, a transformative leader, a charismatic leader, a beloved leader? an effective leader, a great leader, a respected leader, a long-serving leader, a forceful leader, a successful leader, an authentic leader. What kind of leader do you want to be? Once you're able to have those adjectives, 
The next question is, is what would it look like if you were to become effective, authentic, compassionate, forceful, disciplined? Do you want to be a disciplined leader? What would it look like? Those adjectives as they pertain to you, what would it look like? And I asked you other questions. What kind of follower of Jesus do you want to be? Because as a godly leader, the kind of leader you want to be has to be tied to the kind of follower of Jesus you want to be. And that's connected to what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to be? And how will you get there? How will you know when you're progressing? So here's a very practical and tangible exercise that I highly recommend you do. I'm not going to force you to do it, but I recommend you do it. It's very helpful. I did it this morning and I never, I never tell you to do something that I haven't done myself. <laughs> but here is just one way, and there are other ways, but here's one way for you to begin to answer these questions. So in your notebook, make a column and title that column, what kind of leader do I want to be? And write down all of the words that come to mind. I've given you some, but there will be other adjectives that I've not mentioned that maybe pertains to the kind of leader you want to be. And that kind of leader that you want to be shouldn't just be in your imagination. It should be also tied to your calling, your vocation, the thing that you know that God has called you to do. So that's your first column. What kind of leader do I want to be? And then you make another column. What kind of follower of Jesus do I want to be? And then you make the third column. What kind of man or woman am I? So the first column was what kind of leader do I want to be? Second column was what kind of follower of Jesus do I want to be? Third column is, is, is what kind of man or what kind of woman am I? So you write down what you think you are currently. And then the fourth column is, is what kind of leader am I? So first two columns are aspirational. Second two columns are where you currently are. And then you simply compare them. And if you, if you can, you can draw arrows from the current situation to the aspirational ones. How many of those words are the same? So what you are currently, how many of those words appear that already appear on the kind of leader, kind of follower of Jesus you want to be? And how many of those words are different? What this contemplation will help you to do is it will help you to begin to chart the pathway of how you get to who you are currently, to the kind of leader you say you want to become. Because this is your list. You came up with these adjectives. So this is who you are saying you want to be. But it shows you maybe the gap between who you are and, and who you say you want to be, but then it usefully tracks out for you a pathway of how you might get there. So you, on your list of who you are right now, maybe compassionate didn't feature, or obedient didn't feature, but you see them on your lists of the kind of leader you want to be, the kind of follower of Jesus you want to be. This helps you then to begin to map out your technique, the leadership technique. We spoke of the repetition, the hours of practice and refinement, just like the sprinter does, in order to correct posture, in order to get the body angles right. You're going to do the same thing with your leadership. So you spend some time doing the reflection 
I promise you, if you do the work, you'll see the results. Just like in training, just like in spring camp, just like, just like the athletes do. And so you, you do this, and then you do this in your quiet time, and then you begin to pray it out. You begin to ask God the kind of leader that he is making you, the kind of leader that Jesus is making you as you follow him. And then you have some concrete places to start on practicing your technique, on training yourself to become the things that you've listed, on refining yourself to moving from who you say you are to who you say you want to be. The pathway to dislodging some of your bad habits. You're also going to begin practicing applying force. You're going to remember that as a godly leader, you carry power and authority. You carry dunamis and exousia. You're going to keep your posture. In order to apply this force, you're going to keep your posture of worship. You're going to understand the mechanics of how you are to run this leadership race in order to stay at the leading edge. And you're going to get into that good leading rhythm where you're walking as a leader and you're not fainting. And then the final reflection for you, and then I'm done. Three questions. To position yourself as the kind of leader that you say you want to be, now in the context of where you lead. So whether you are leading in the church, in your community, in your enterprise, your profession, in your school, in your family, wherever you find yourself leading. Three questions for you. Look at the other leaders who are in that organization. What do the best leaders in that organization do really well? You're trying to now position yourself in the context of the other leaders. And if there are some very good leaders in your organization, diagnose the situation. Well, what makes them good leaders in your eyes? What makes them good leaders? So what are they doing? What do they do really well? They're on time. They're disciplined. They're compassionate. They're good leaders. They're good listeners. What, what is it? What do they do really well? The next question. In your context, in your organization, what will the leaders need to be great at in the future? So the first question diagnoses the leadership in your organization currently. But we know that organizations are dynamic. They change over time. So as you list out what the best leaders are doing really well currently, the second question gets you thinking about, well, in the future, what will those things need to be? And that context can be within the organization. So if the organization gets bigger, what are those things that a good leader is going to need to be able to do? Or it can be the broader, the, the broader context. So it could be about the economy. It could be about artificial intelligence. It could be about demography, whatever the broader context. But what will a good leader in the future need to be great at? And then the final question for your reflection. What is unique or special about the culture where you find yourself in the culture in your organization that you expect leaders to model or reinforce. So this then gets to the point about practicing or enacting the leadership. The leadership that you've identified is good, what they do really well. And by modeling it or by reinforcing it, actually beginning to now shape the organizational context for the future. So a few concrete steps for, your, for you to reflect, for you to begin to practice. We've been speaking tonight about leadership technique. If you've taken anything from this evening, I want you simply to believe that leadership is practiced. It's 
like any skill that we have, you are born with whatever seed, whatever potential. But you can improve that potential. You can practice it. You can refine it. You can enact it. And in this month of leadership, as we pray through leadership and as we hear the word of God on leadership, we should also be aiming to apply leadership technique and practice so that we can fulfill, so that we can maximize, so that we can steward the leadership seeds that the Lord has given to us and yield a good return for him. Hallelujah. So I pray for us tonight. I pray that the Lord would empower us to finish the race set before us. Father, I pray even as Paul said, that he forgets what is behind him, that everything that he had gained worldly through his self, that it all became rubbish to him just for him to know you. And I pray, Lord, that this would be how we understand our leadership calls, that we would not look behind us, what we've achieved out of our own strength, but we would strain forward, Lord, and seek to grab hold of that thing that you have grabbed hold of all of us for, the thing that you have called us and shaped us uniquely to fulfill in the earth, in this generation, Lord, so that your kingdom purposes can be fulfilled. Father, we thank you for this word as you have sent it. We know that your word will never return unto you void. And so we look forward to seeing the manifestations of this fruit that we have received this evening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we've prayed. Amen.